Welcome to all of our locations, our television and online audience. We are glad that you are here today to hear a word from God. If you have your Bible, would you take it out? If you need a Bible, would you raise your hands? The ushers would be happy to give you one. Let's go ahead and hold it up and let's go ahead and make this declaration of our faith. Ready, go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. Y'all sound great. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? Uh, before we get into the word, let me say it again. Happy Father's Day to all of the dads. I want you to know we celebrate you. We honor you. We thank God for you. And this is the time the world needs you most right now. Yes, we are living in a time where fatherhood is under attack. It is under siege. Manhood is under siege right now. And we need all of the good, godly men to stand up and be counted for right now. And so we thank God for you. We celebrate you. This is your day. And I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter number five. Mark chapter number five. We are continuing in our series, He Amazes Me. Um, we are moving on from the Gospel of John because I've already preached through the seven signs in the Gospel of John. But I still want to focus on the miracles of Jesus because as I shared with you before, Jesus was a miracle working machine. John tells us that if every miracle Jesus did was recorded in books, the world would not be able to contain the volumes of books thereof. And so we're moving on from the seven signs in John. And I want to talk to you about this special miracle in Mark chapter number five, beginning in verse 21. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came Jairus by name and when he saw him he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying my little daughter lies at the point of death come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him now a certain woman had a flow of blood 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse when she heard about Jesus she came behind Behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? But his disciples said, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he told her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken... 
He said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement, but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Today, as we continue in this series, I want to minister to you on the subject, the miracle of a father. How many of you know dads are miracles? Dads are miracles in more ways than sometimes we comprehend. Dads are miracles. They are miracles to our world. They are miracles to our society. And they are miracles to the family. And so I want to talk to you about the miracle of a father today. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you again for speaking to our hearts. We give you this place to speak and to move as you see fit in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said... You may be seated. 18.4 million children in the United States live without a biological step or adoptive father in their home. Research shows that when fathers are involved, children do better. They do better in almost every area of life. They are two times more likely to go to college. They are more likely to get A's. They are 80% less likely to spend time in jail. 75% less likely to experience teen pregnancy. They are less likely to be mistreated. And they have greater emotional and social well-being. When a father isn't involved or in the picture, children in fatherless homes account for 71% of all high school dropouts, 90% of homeless and runaway children, 63% of youth suicides, 47% more likely to live in poverty, 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs. Males are more likely to become absentee fathers themselves. Females are more likely to have children with absentee fathers. Infant deaths are four times more likely and children are two times more likely to be obese. Fathers are miracles. Whether we realize it or not and despite the intention of the culture of this age, fatherlessness is under attack and God knew better from the beginning when he instituted the family in the book of Genesis when he created one man, one woman, one father, one mother for the confines of holy matrimony to raise a family so that children could be everything that God created them to be. Now, having said that, I understand that some people do not have the privilege of having a father, and it's no fault of their own. And for those people, I pray that God is more than sufficient, and his grace is sufficient, and God can make up the difference. But those anomalies should not become the rule. They should be the exception in our lives, and we should realize that we need fathers in our world. Not only do we need physical fathers, but we also need spiritual 
spiritual fathers, people that can speak into our life and help to groom us in the things of God. And so when we come to our text, we see this divine truth emerging. Now to understand what is happening in the text, we must know that Jesus has been kicked out of Nazareth. Imagine kicking Jesus out of your town. That's how crazy that is. But there are towns all over this world that have kicked Jesus out of their towns. They kicked him out of their their law. They kicked him out of their courthouses. They kicked him out of their schools. They kicked him out of their society, out of their culture. When you kick Jesus out of your town and out of your city, you limit the miraculous in your town and city. Jesus could only do a few mighty miracles in the town of Nazareth because he was considered common there. He was regular. There And one time he walked into the synagogue in the town of Nazareth and he opened the book of Isaiah and he proclaimed, he read the scripture, Isaiah 61, about the spirit of the Lord God being upon the coming Messiah. And then he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the Bible says that when he said this, they were really, really mad at Jesus, wanted to kill him, took him up to a high mountain on the city and they were about to throw him off the city cliff to kill him. And instead he slipped through the crowd because it wasn't his time. And so because he wasn't allowed to be in Nazareth, Jesus relocated to Capernaum. And Capernaum was the, the, um, the, I guess the, uh, port capital, if you will, of that entire region. It was the highway, if you would, to the sea. And so many people came in and out of the city of Capernaum in order to do business and to visit and so on and so forth. And because Jesus was there, the fame of Jesus began to spread all aboard, uh, uh, all around. People would come to the city to do business. They would encounter Jesus. They would see his miracles. And then they would get back in their ships and go back to their regions. And for from Capernaum, his fame was able to spread everywhere. And I want to encourage somebody who may have been rejected in one place that rejection doesn't mean that God's through with you. Because rejection is often right direction. God will sometimes move you from one place and put you in another place so that his purpose for your life can be fulfilled. And many times in life, we glorify open doors and we cry at closed doors. But how many of you know both an open door and a closed door can be the hand of God? He opens doors no man can shut and he shuts doors that no man can open. And so Jesus' door was shut in Nazareth because from Nazareth, his fame could not spread abroad. And God wanted everybody in that region to be influenced by the miracle working power of Jesus Christ. Capernaum became known as the city of Jesus. That's how his miracles, and he did more miracles in that city than in any other place in that particular region. And this particular miracle happens as he's returning. He had just crossed over the Sea of Galilee, and you remember that story. We'll probably look at it in future weeks. And a great sea storm arose out of nowhere where Jesus was sleeping in the hinder part of the ship on a pillow. And when that happens, his disciples were scared. They woke him up. They said, we're perishing. Don't you care, Master? 
master. And in three words, one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Ghost, peace be still, Jesus spoke to the storm and calmed the storm. How many of you know that you have the authority in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to speak to your circumstances and see them bow? Jesus was on a mission to cross the sea. He was going over and crossing to free a man who was demon-possessed, who lived in the country of the Gadarenes. And so because he was on a mission, the storm arose. How many of you know that sometimes storms don't arise in your life because you're doing something wrong? Sometimes storms arise in your life because you're on your way to do something that God intended you to do. And the storm is trying to stop you. That's why you have to have bulldog faith that refuses to quit no matter what comes against you in life. And he went there and he healed this man, which no man was able to tame. And the guy would be up in the tombs and he would be cutting himself and terrorizing the people. Jesus freed him. He gets back into the ship and he sails back over to Capernaum. And when he gets there, this massive crowd of people, the Bible says, was waiting there for him so that the King James says he was nigh onto the sea. And here's the picture. He gets off the boat and he cannot even move because the crowd is so massive. Most theological scholars believe this was the biggest crowd that Jesus had ever attracted so that he couldn't walk freely. He had to actually stay on the seashore because the crowd was that big. They wanted to touch him. They wanted to get miracle working power from him. And it is through this crowd that here comes a man. A man by the name of Jairus. And Jairus was somebody who was well known. He was a ruler of the synagogue. And so when the people saw Jairus coming, they literally parted to make a path so Jairus could get to Jesus. All eyes were now on Jairus because he was the ruler of the synagogue. And this was such a sight to behold that when Mark writes it, he says, behold, a man by the name of Jairus a ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus because synagogue rulers and Jesus did not necessarily like each other. And the reason why they didn't like each other is because synagogue rulers were in charge of keeping order in the temple. But Jesus often disrupted the order of the temple. How many of you know that Jesus was the original disruptor? Jesus did not just come to be tolerated. Jesus came to take over. When Jesus comes into your life, he didn't come to just fix a few things. He came to take over every part of your life. There's not a part of your life that he doesn't want to rule and reign over. And so here comes Jairus, this man who is in charge of keeping order in the temple. And he comes to Jesus, this man who has created disorder in the temple. And here emerges this story about a father being a miracle to his family. Because this father comes and he asks Jesus, he said, can you come and can you heal my daughter? She's taking her last breaths. Interestingly enough, the Bible says Jesus agrees to go. And as he's going, the crowd is thronging him. 
Literally, we don't understand because nobody says, have you been thronged lately? Nobody, nobody uses that word. But the crowd is actually crushing him. They're pressing against him. And so Jesus going is at great personal expense to Jesus. And here we have a picture in the story of what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. Isaiah 53 says that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our healing. And by his stripes, we are healed. The same way that Jesus was willing to be crushed for Jairus, he was crushed on the cross for you so that you could be set free. And in this story, we find the miracle of a father. There's four keys that I want to give you how you can be a miracle to your family. Number one, humble yourself before Jesus. Now, I told you that Jesus often created disorder in the synagogue. And perhaps the most famous time he created disorder in the synagogue is when he got kicked out of Nazareth. He went in and he read, he opened to the book of Isaiah. Look at it with me. Luke chapter four, verse number 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Can I just stop for a minute there? Jesus went to church. I shouldn't say for the people who are here right now, because you're here even though it's Father's Day, right? There's a lot of fathers right here who the custom on Father's Day is to sleep late, who the custom on Father's Day is to go play golf, who the custom on Father's Day is to do, and I love all those things. I'm playing pickleball later, y'all. I can't wait. But you know, what do you want to do for Father's Day? I want to be in church. I want to be in the house of God. I want to be where I can be with my heavenly Father. It's Father's Day, y'all. Why shouldn't I give God the praise on Father's Day? It was the custom of Jesus to go, if Jesus needed to go to church. Jesus knew this is what we do on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is not a time to sleep in. The Sabbath day is not a time for me to get all these things around the house. Even though you could do all those things. The first and most important thing on the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, is to get to the house of God. So he went there. And and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, he sat down, and the eyes of all those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the word fixed here describes how a viper fastens its fangs onto a people. They were shooting Jesus daggers with their eyes. Jesus read this and literally with them, we're going to kill you for saying that. And that's when they took him up to the top of their city hill and we're going to throw him overboard. And he snuck out and he went to Capernaum. And there in Capernaum, he meets this man, Jairus. Now, why did I tell you about what happened in the synagogue at Nazareth? Because the synagogue rulers all knew each other. And so word, I'm sure, got from Nazareth to Capernaum and all the other cities. If this man shows up in your synagogue, watch out, he's a troublemaker. Watch out, he's going to turn everything upside down. Watch out, he thinks he's God. you got to make sure you keep order because this guy's going to come to your synagogue and he is going to create disorder. 
And so here comes Jairus knowing that Jesus is the one who creates disorder, but he's going to Jesus. Because how many of you know that sometimes what will help you find out who Jesus is is when something happens that nobody could solve but Jesus. And so here he comes. And he comes to Jesus, but he just doesn't come. Notice what he does. He comes, and the scripture says, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and live. He falls at Jesus' feet. Literally, this describes somebody who, who falls over as if dead. He's worshiping at the feet of the one who his whole community believes is a complete nut job. He is worshiping at the feet of the one who he has probably taught is out of order, who he's probably said bad things about. Isn't it amazing how God will sometimes cause you to need somebody that you talked about? That's why it's important to treat everybody like your miracle might be coming through them the next time. And so he begins to worship at his feet. Now, when he worships at his feet, you've got to understand, his career is on the line. His position, his prestige, his influence in the community. Because everybody, this massive crowd, the whole city is out. Everybody is there. Here comes Jesus. We're going to wait for him on the shore. We're going to wait for him as soon as he gets off the boat. We're going to bring our blind, our halt, our withered, our lame. We're going to believe, we're going to bring all the people that we know needs a touch from him. And into this massive crowd, here comes Jairus. And it was such a sight to behold that Mark again says, Behold, look at this. Look at what's happening now. What does Jairus do? He humbles himself at the feet of Jesus. He puts it all on the line at the feet of Jesus. Do you know why? Because humility brings the favor of God in your life. Look at this, James chapter 4, verse number 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility brings the favor of God into your life. But pride causes God to resist you. Pride, let me say for the people all the way in the back, pride causes God to resist you. We're living in a season where we are celebrating pride. Uh Uh-oh, pastor, you going there? Yep, I'm going there. Yep, I'm going there. Yep. We have a billboard. I want to know who put that billboard up in my city. Because right now we have a twisted version of everything. We are twisting what love is. We are twisting what love is. You know why we're twisting what love is? Because God is what? Love. So what does the enemy do? Anything that is godly, he twists. And we are teaching people that God, that love means you cannot correct somebody. My Bible tells me that if I do not correct my children, I hate them. He that spares the rod hateth his child. My Bible tells me whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And if that, if I be without chastisement, then I am a bastard and an illegitimate child of God. But yet we are twisting everything. And the reason why we are twisting it is because it is a front to who God is. And matter of fact, the greatest sin in this world, listen to me carefully, is not homosexuality, is not transgenderism. It is pride because 
because pride stands in the way from people repenting of their sin and being set free by the miracle working power of Jesus Christ. There is no sin that anybody can ever commit that could cause God to not forgive them if they will repent before God. And so along comes pride to stop people from repenting and getting free. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And here is Jairus. Think about what he was doing by going at the feet of Jesus. I'm wrong. I'm wrong about you. You're not, you're not a viper. You're not, you don't have a demon. You're not a rabble rouser. You're not, you're not some crazy man. You, you are the one who was prophesied. I'm coming to you because you are the only one who I know that can change the situation. He was humbling himself before the Lord. And as he humbled himself before God, favor flew, uh, began to flow into his family. Listen to me, fathers. The way that you get favor to flow into your family is you humble yourself before the Lord in the sight of your family. You let your family see that God is your all in all. You put it all on the line for Jesus. You don't act one way on Sunday and a different way every other day. Jesus is the one in whom you live and move and have your being. And as you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, favor begins to flow in your family and you become a miracle to your family. But notice also number two, the second thing we see is that if you're going to be a miracle to your family, you need to steward your slowdowns. As Jesus is going, the crowd is crushing him. He's going slow. He's going slow. He's going slow. Jairus is trying to hurry him along. And into that crowd comes a woman. I wish I could tell you her name. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just identifies her as having an issue of blood for 12 years. And into that crowd, here comes this woman. And her plan is that she is going to fight through the crowd and that she's going to slip into the crowd. She's going to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And when she gets her miracle, she is then going to slip out of the crowd without anybody knowing. Sounds like some church folk to me. I'm going to show up in church. I'm going to show up for whatever, and I'm going to get what I need from God, and I'm going to slip out. Ain't nobody ever going to see me again. Ain't nobody ever going to know I'm there. Ain't going to participate in any of the life. It's going to slip in and slip out because God is here for my pleasure. She's going to slip in and slip out. And as she goes, surprisingly, she makes it through the crowd. She's got some endurance. She's got some determination. It was hard to make it through that crowd. I don't know how far into the crowd Jesus was, but imagine if Jesus was in the middle of the crowd. How many of you know sometimes your miracle is in the middle? Sometimes the reason why people can't get their miracle is they are not willing to grind to get what God has promised. And we live in a generation, I told this to the first service, this generation is soft. And I'm not just talking about the kids. I'm talking about the whole generation. Because a lot of times when we say this generation, we, we start pointing it at the kids. But I believe everything the kids are, are, are the fruit of what we gave them. This generation is, everybody talking about, oh, I'm so busy. I, I you know, I'm so, I, I'm overwhelmed and I can't do this. And, you know, I got to do everything from the confines of my home and eight hours a day. That's too much hour. That's too much work for me. I only should be working two or three hours and become a million. This generation is soft. 
this generation believes in magic. They believe that you get everything easy and quick. The Bible says that wealth takes hard work. you got to grind. But yet this is the generation that came up with the phrase, let's grind. Grind on what? What are you grinding? I don't see no grinding. I see you trying to skip out. I try to see the easy way. Grinding. Most people would have never got their miracle because in order to get the miracle, she had to grind to the crowd and get to the mill. Most people would have gave up after they tried just a little bit. Just like you pray for one day and God doesn't answer and you give up on the promise. She was planning to slip in and slip out. And as she was planning to slip in and slip out, surprisingly, she made it through the crowd. Not surprisingly, when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she felt in her body immediately that her 12-year issue was gone. And as she was beginning to slip away, Jesus stopped. When you try to slip away, guess what Jesus does? Stops. Hold on, hold on now, y'all. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Didn't I just answer your prayer? How come I haven't seen you in church in three weeks? I thought I just answered your prayer. Remember that bill you were paying for? That miraculously got paid. Uh, why, where are you going with your money? I, I thought I just, I thought I just said, Jesus will stop you. Stops and calls her back. And she becomes an interruption. She becomes a slowdown in a time sensitive situation. But not just a small slowdown. She becomes a long slowdown. Cause did you notice what it said? She told him the whole truth. Come on, fathers. When a woman gets ready to tell you the whole then you better sit down. You better start getting you some cups of coffee. You better get ready to just listen for longer than you want to. And she told him the whole, she took her way back to the beginning. Twelve years ago, Jesus. It was March 19th. 18 AD, Jesus, 12, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the kitchen, and I was making a matzo ball soup for the family. I was getting ready to feed everybody, Jesus, and this annoying little blood thing started to happen, Jesus. And, and you know, I thought it was nothing. I just thought it was, you know, that time of the month. But then about two months later, I was at the birthday party of my little boy, Jesus, and we had camel rides for everybody at the birthday party, and the birthday party was lasting a long time, and I kept having a go into the house. It was really getting in my wages. And I go get the lemonade and come out and it was bothering me. And I go get this and come out. And then Jesus so it was like five months. And after five months I decided I might as well at least go to the doctor. I went to the doctor. My doctor's a good doctor. Have you ever heard of my doctor Jesus? Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith been practicing 25 years. Jesus. Dr. Smith is the best gynecologist around. Jesus. I highly recommend to go tell Martha and Mary about Dr. Smith Jesus when you get to Martha and Mary. And Jesus just listening. But Jesus let her go. Jesus ain't stopping her. She said, follow Jesus. Jesus ain't stopping her. And, and Jairus, I know what he's doing. I can imagine he getting real angry. He's looking at it. These women, they're crazy. Come on, Jesus, just be polite and let's get out of here. Jesus is waiting on something. He's letting her tell her whole story because her testimony is needed for Jairus. 
something she was about to say, Jairus needed because Jesus knew there was no way he was getting to Jairus' house before that little girl died with this big crowd thronging him. And so Jesus set up a slowdown in order to put something in Jairus' heart that he needed to be a miracle in his house. Oh my God. Jesus said, stop. Come on back here. And she kept going on in Jesus and, and finally I went to this doctor and that doctor. We cashed in the college account. We cashed in the savings account. Jesus, we turned in the 401k. We got no money left. We went to every doctor. Dr. Smith, who I thought was the best gynecologist around, couldn't help me. And so Dr. Smith recommended this doctor. And I went to this doctor and then there was another referral to that doctor. And I came to this area in Capernaum, Jesus, not because I was hoping to see you, but I came here because I thought there might be a doctor in this area. I didn't know that when I came here, I was going to meet the great physician, the one that can do nothing, that can do everything that nobody else can. Jesus said, do tell. I had a plan. My plan was I was going to come through the crowd. My plan was, I was going to touch the hem of your garment. Oh, Jesus, why were you going to touch the hem of my garment? Well, see, Jesus, I remember from Sabbath school. Can I tell you where your kids need to be? Your kids need to be in Sunday school. Your kids need to be in youth. Your kids need to be in kids' church. Your kids need to be in young adult singles. Your kids need to be in places where something's going to be put. I remember from Sabbath school that the rabbis used to tell us that many will come in your name. But there will be one way that we will know it's you and nobody else. And that's when the true son of righteousness arises. There will be healing in his wings. What is wings? Wings are the bottom of a rabbi's coat or bottoms of a rabbi's prayer cloth called a talith. And those wings represented the promises of God. And so I got to thinking, Jesus, that if you were really the one, because I've been hearing stuff about you. I've been hearing you open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears. I've been hearing you walk on water. You multiply loaves and fishes. I said, if you are the real one, the way that I could tell is I come crawling through the crowd. And if I reach out and I touch your wings, the bottom of your talith, the promises that are in your prayer shawl, then healing will manifest itself. And as soon as I did, I realized you were no imposter. You were no fake. You were no clown. You were not no nobody practicing disorderly conduct. But you were God manifest in the flesh. And when she said that, Jesus looked over at Jairus and he said, Can I share with somebody your testimony is needed? See, a lot of times we want to slip in. We want to slip out because we think that the whole purpose of God doing something in our life is just for us. But there are two purposes for God doing everything in your life. One is to do something for you and the other is to do something through you. And you only get half the blessing when you get your miracle and leave. Somebody needs your testimony. Somebody needs to hear what God has done for you. This slowdown was a setup to get something in Jairus' heart that he needed for to, so he could be a miracle in his home. Jesus knew he wasn't coming there. Can I talk to the fathers and ask you to steward your slowdowns? You see, what do you mean, pastor? Well, you ever notice what happens when, when stuff doesn't go in as timely as a fashion as it should, how most dads react? Oh. I don't know why it's always taking 
time like this, you know, every time I try to do something, something happens like this. That's not what I expected right here. And, you know, I'm talking to myself a little bit right now. I was on the road in traffic yesterday. You know, man, stupid people don't know how to drive. Get out of the way. Somebody trying to go somewhere. You know, Tad start getting all anxious, all uptight, all this, all that. But maybe your slowdowns are an opportunity for God to sow something into your heart that you need to be a miracle in your home. Can I tell you that sometimes you should have planned slowdowns? Not just so you could rest, not just so you could play golf. I love all those kind of things. Not just so you could, by the way, I school Pastor Brandon in pickleball, Pastor Emmanuel in pickleball, Pastor Ronald in pickleball. They all like, what kind of man is this? He's older than us and he's still schooling us. Anyway. Sometimes the slowdown is so God can put something in your heart. The word of God, build character in your heart, build integrity in your heart, build promises in your heart, build closeness in your heart. Why? So that you can be a miracle to your family. Number three, if you want to be a miracle to your family, not only do you need to steward the slowdowns, but then number three, you need to use your power wisely. This woman is out in public with an issue of blood. The law, Leviticus, specifically forbade her to be at the risk of her life. You know who had authority to order her execution? Jairus. Jairus could have used his power to kill her before she spoke a word. And you know what would have happened? He would have missed his miracle. Can I talk to the guys for just a minute? Do you know that men by God's design, have more physical power than women. Let me say it again. Let me put it to you differently. Let me speak to culture. Men and women are not equal. Look at you all are nervous right now. See, y'all heard too much crazy culture that when you hear the word of God, it strikes you as odd. Let me say it again. Men and women are not equal. We're not designed by God to be equal. God is not trying to make men and women equal. Now, now y'all are missing it because y'all are hearing something I'm not saying. Men are physically stronger than women. Women have greater, greater brain capacity than men. Now you all just opened your ears a little bit because you're like, all right, Pastor. In the first service, one of the women, when I said that, said, amen, Pastor, amen. But the men, you give the men a compliment like that, they're like, I ain't saying nothing, Pastor, because I'll be paying for this. I'll be paying for this all night. Women were created a certain way so that they can fulfill the roles and the, and the significant value and contributions that they have by God. Men were created a different way so that they could fulfill their roles and make the significant contributions that God wanted them to have. So men and women are not equal. Men are physically stronger than women, which is why no man should ever be allowed to play a woman's sport. I ain't hating on nobody, by the way, because I believe every person is precious in the eyes of God. Every single person. You, you abuse or be unkind to somebody, I'd be the first one fighting for that person. But that's not the issue right now. The issue is men and women are not supposed to be equal. Men are strong. I could make my wife do anything that I want her to do. By force. 
I could muscle up. I could use my strength to get to condition her that if she doesn't do what I want her to do, that she is going to experience the wrath of my force. And therefore, I can make her do whatever I want her to do. That would be a misuse of my power. When you have been given power, you have been given responsibility to steward your power wisely. Your power is never meant to crush. Your power is always meant to cover. Listen to what the scripture says. First Peter chapter three, verse number seven. Husbands likewise dwell with them according to understanding your wife, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Weaker how? Physically. So as I dwell with my wife, I have to understand that I cannot relate to her the same way that I relate to another man. Because if another man gets loud with me, I step up. If another man gets loud with me, I bump him in the chest. Say, what's up, bro? What's up? Because when I'm dealing with a man who has similar, probably not equal strength to me, probably a little less. But if I, if I deal with a man who's got the same kind of strength, force is met with force. But when I deal with a woman who has been intentionally created by God not to have the same kind of strength, because my job is not to muscle up on her, my job is to be a protector and a covering for her. So that way if something does happen, my strength can be released in a godly way and not an ungodly way. Jairus had the authority, had the power to put her to death. If he would have used his authority in the wrong way, he would have cut himself off from what he needed to be a miracle to his house. And every time we use our authority in the wrong way, we cut ourselves off from being the miracle that God has intended for us to be to our house. Steward your power Wisely, but then number four, number four. And by the way, you know, Jesus did that, right? Remember when Judas led the Roman soldiers to capture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember Peter? Peter was like, let's meet force with force. Peter took off his sword. He chopped off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. What did Jesus do? He picked up the ear, put it back on. This is crazy. You know why? There's some jokers that say, well, Jesus doesn't want to heal everybody. You mean to tell me Jesus healed the high priest servant who was his enemy, but he wants his kids to suffer? Who twisted you? See, you don't really understand what love is. Greater love hath no man, but then lay down his life for his friend. You know what that means? If I lay down my life for you, then anything else that I can give you, I want to give you. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the keys to the kingdom. He picked up the ear. He put it back. He looked at Peter. He said, don't you know? I could call on legions of angels right now to rescue me. But, and he didn't say this, but here's why I didn't do it. Because 
for the salvation of mankind, I am restraining my power and allowing myself to be mistreated so that I can be a miracle to the family that I'm about to save from the grip of sin. Anytime that you restrain your power for the purpose of helping somebody, what you do is you become a miracle to them. Number four, number four. Lead the way in standing on the word of God. So Jesus and Jairus are going. The word of God has just been sown into Jairus' heart. What was the word of God? The word of God is, this is the Messiah. This is the one that has healing in his wings. This is the one who does open the eyes of the blind, unstops the ears of the deaf. This is the one who makes the mute talk and the lame walk. This is the one. Got it, Jairus? You saw it in action. You saw it in action. There is healing in my wings. As soon as he was talking, notice what the scripture says, Mark chapter 5. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter's dead, why trouble the master? You know what that is? That's the devil. Say, why? Because as soon as the word of God is sown, what does the devil do? He comes to steal it from your heart. So as soon as the word was sown, here comes the enemy with a contrary word. And here's what God is saying. God is saying, that's not when you need to give up on Jesus, by the way. That's not when you don't trouble Jesus anymore. That's when you press in harder to Jesus. That's when you need Jesus now more than you ever have. You don't give up. You don't start troubling Jesus. You press in to Jesus. Jesus looks at Jairus. And what does he say? He says, Don't be afraid, only believe. What was he doing? He was counteracting what the devil was doing. Here's the message. Fathers, in order for you to be a miracle to your family, you need to stand on the word no matter how difficult it gets. You need to stand on the word that was sown into your heart no matter how. It is a shame. Listen to me. I don't mean this to shame anybody. But it is a shame when a woman is the spiritual leader of the house. And I don't mean that women are incapable of being the spiritual leader of the house because church would not be what it is except for the women who said, you ain't coming to church, I'm going anyway. You ain't taking the kids, I'm taking the kids anyway. But the, we should be the ones standing on the word. We should be the ones who are saying, this is what the word of God has to say. We should be the ones that are saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what's happening. This is what God said. Let me, let me finish, let me finish. Pastor, but how do I stand on the word when it gets so hard? I'm scared myself. Can we be honest? Sometimes we don't necessarily know it's going to be okay. I'm a dad. You know what God told me one time? He said, fake it till you make it. So what do you mean? He said, because everyone, your family gets their clue by looking at you. Ever been on a plane? hits turbulence. First time I was ever on a plane to hit turbulence, I was like, oh my God, my God, dear Jesus. <laughs> After a while, somebody told me, oh, just look at the flight attendant. If the flight attendant is still serving soft drinks, you cool. If the flight attendant buckles up, you better get ready for something. You start becoming Catholic real quick all of a sudden again. You know? <laughs> Here's what happens when turbulence hits in the home. All eyes go to daddy. If daddy ain't fretting, everything's going to be okay. These, these are the shoulders that we are called to have men. This, this is what the family is supposed to 
lean on. It's not always easy. We don't even always know it's going to be okay. But for the sake of the family, don't let the burden fall over on them. Don't let the worry fall over on them. You bear that. Did Jesus bear our burdens? Cast all your care upon me. He said, for I care for you. Let him take it. You are Jesus to your family. And I don't mean that in disrespect to God, but I mean that as you are the one that exemplifies Christ and should the most. And so sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. Well, how do you do that? Take your lead from Jesus. As soon as he got the contrary word, what did he do? He spoke a different word. What does that mean? As soon as something comes to combat what you're believing for, go get a different word. Go get a word from the word of God. Go fill your mind with what the word of God has to say. But then number two, go get some backup. Remember what Jesus did? He said, y'all stay here. Peter, James, and John, come with me. Can I talk to the dads for just a minute? Go get your boys. Go get your, you know, when, when we were kids or even when we were young men and stuff like that, you know, if it was going to go down and we knew it was going to be a, a fight, we'd be like, we call all our boys. We're like, let's go. We're meeting over here this day. Bring what you got to bring. We're going, it's going to go down right now. You call your boys. Well, Jesus said, huh? Peter, James, and John, I need y'all to come with me. Peter means rock. James means supplanter. John means grace. You know what he said? I'm bringing grace into this place. Can I tell you what your backup is? Your backup is the grace of God. Your backup is, I know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We know our faults. We know our failures. But thank God for his grace, which can back us up when we are believing God for something. But then not only is grace your backup, but other men are your backup. See, men, men tend to be too isolated. Keep your feelings to yourself. Don't share. Go get another man and say, listen, I need you to pray with me about this. This is what I'm going through right now. I need you to hold up my hands. I need you, I need you to keep me accountable in this situation. Peter, James, and John, come with me in this situation. Pastor, how do I stand on the word of God? You need to remove whatever it is that is in your house that is standing in the way of your miracle. Jesus got there. Everybody was crying. Jesus said, why are you all crying? They were professional mourners, by the way. In Bible times, they hired mourners to come. And so these were people who didn't even know the girl. They're wailing and making a do. Jesus said, why are you all wailing and making a do? She's not dead. She sleeps. They all started laughing at the song. You know what Jesus said? Get out! Can I tell you what you need to do, fellas, if you're going to be a miracle you to your family? Sometimes you got to clean out everything in your house that is standing in the way of what God wants to do. Sometimes you got to clean out the strife that is between you and your wife by humbling yourself. Sometimes you got to clean up the strife and the disrespect that your kids are showing your wife. Sometimes you got to clean out the stuff that is being watched on your television and watched on your phone. Sometimes you got to clean out all that stuff. Why? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And G- Jesus said, out, out, out. But then lastly, you need to invite Jesus into your house. Jairus went all the way to the shore of Capernaum. He said, Jesus, would you come? And how many of you know Jesus didn't just arrive there, but he had to fight his way to get there. Sometimes, guys, it's a fight when we invite Jesus into our house.
because sometimes he needs to deal with us. Because when Jesus comes into the house again, he's not looking for touch-ups. He's looking for takeover. Sometimes it's a fight. But he got Jesus into the house. And when you get Jesus into your house, what happens is he begins to affect things that you are powerless to change. Can I tell you how Jesus comes into the house? Yes, by invitation, but mostly by example. Mostly by what our children, you know what I, what I believe in my heart? Any family that sees a man on fire for Christ, the whole family will be saved. Facts. It's the way God created it. On my 25th, they had a little clip of my kids, right? And, and, and one of my kids said, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to be like you. It was cute. It was warming. But my daughter wrote me a letter one time for Father's Day. Yeah, I hope you got another good letter for me, honey, today. <laughs> About the one who influenced her to go into ministry the most. She said, it was my dad. Because when daddy is on fire for Jesus, everybody gets on fire for Jesus. Invite Jesus into your home. And when they did, Jesus came in. And he looked at the little girl, Peter, James, John, the mother and the father. And he said, little girl, Talitha Kumai. Huh? It means in one language, little girl arise. In another language, you know what it means? Little girl wrapped in the word. Wait, 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 wait. The woman who interrupted the miracle had an issue of blood 12 years. The little girl who was sick was 12 years old. The girl who interrupted the miracle with her 12-year issue of blood came in and told a testimony about the Talith. When Jairus walked into the room, his little girl, because this is what they did to little kids when they died, they wrapped them in Talithes. When Jairus walked into the room, he walked into the room and saw his little girl wrapped in something that he knew had power in its wings. God was preparing him so that when he walked in and saw what he needed to see, the first thing that he understood is there's power in that wings. Suddenly it all came true in his mind. Suddenly he realized, I can't believe that you are pulling up on the shore because Jesus, I knew you had left town. I didn't know when you were coming back, but you pulled up by boat at the exact moment that my daughter was on her last breath. I thought it might have been coincidence, but now I see that you came just for me. And Jesus, there was a crowd, but you made a way through the crowd. You made a road through the ocean and a river through the desert. And Jesus, you arranged for a slowdown in the middle of a time-sensitive miracle, not just by any person, but by somebody who had an issue for the same number of years as my little girl, 12 years. And then the word that you gave to me, Jesus, was about what she would be wrapped in so that when I arrived, I would have faith to believe you for the impossible. Jesus, all this tells me you are too good to not believe. Every coincidence in my life, every setup in my life is you showing me that there is miracle working power in your hands. Jesus, that's who you are. too good to not believe. Would you stand on your feet? My wonderful staff properly 
advisably told me after the first service, they said, you preach 58 minutes, Pastor. That's even without the close. I said, praise the Lord. This service, I think I preached an hour and 10 minutes. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to preach long all the time. I'm not a long-winded preacher. You got to be worried about the people who preach long and got nothing to say. That's just boring right there. But listen, I want to spend one more moment, one more crucial moment. I want to invite all my fellow fathers down to the front for just a minute. Dads, come on. Come on, step out of your seat. Come down. These are the spiritual heroes right here. This right here is what this world needs. The world doesn't need political saviors. The world needs dads. If we had more dads, guess what we would have? We would have a country. We would have a culture that was what it needed to be. This is what the world needs. Thank God. I see. I see my my good friend, Mike. He's a father to his own kid, but he's been a father to dozens of children as well. Stepping in the gap. I honor you. I honor you. Let's pray for these dads right now. Father, thank you for each one of these wonderful men. Father, thank you that today, even by their presence, they are leading by example. Thank you that they brought their families to the house of God. Father, I pray for your richest blessing to be on their lives. Father, I thank you for your grace being a backup to them. Father, for everyone that struggles taking the lead because they know their imperfections today. Father, we lay that down at the altar. We thank you that your grace is sufficient. Father, I speak over them the word of heaven right now. I speak over them that they would lead and not follow. That they would be men of integrity, men who are rooted and grounded in the word of God. And Father, that their families would experience the favor that only you can give because their fathers are following the word of the Lord. Father, I speak your blessing over them. I speak divine strength over them. I thank you for every bit of masculinity that is in the inside of them. And we celebrate the fact that we are men today, men of God and men of valor. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen and amen. God bless you, gentlemen. Have an absolutely happy Father's Day to all of you. We will see you next week. God bless you.